you know, one of the things I say in the book is the audience comes last. And the audience comes last, not because I don't care about them or I don't like the audience. In service to the audience, they have to come last. Yeah. The thing that the audience wants is the best thing they can get. If we're trying to make it for them, it won't be the best thing it can get. It'll water it down. Process of making something for someone else undermines it. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. All right. Well, hello, everybody. It is the first of the month, June 1st, 2023. That is the legendary music producer, Rick Rubin. If he is talking, if you're a music lover, if he is talking, you should be listening. My name is Brian Stone. This is the Stone On Air podcast. Lots to get to today. Riverbend, we are on the eve of it. Well, almost, kind of, sort of. Thanks for finding the show. I say kind of, sort of, because I am getting the earliest start I probably have ever gotten as I record every Wednesday, usually around 8, 9, 10 o'clock or so at night. Today, it is early, early, early. I'm going to have an entire evening left in front of me, and that makes me very, very, very happy. So the debt ceiling uh, agreement that was reached several days ago will be voted on, I guess, right now as we speak. I think it's going to go through. That's what all indications are. I'll spend a few minutes on that in the second segment of the show as I'll lay it out for you here real quickly as we get things started. The supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast each and every Thursday for thousands in the city of Chattanooga and surrounding areas. And I'll also talk a little bit about this show in the second segment, HBO show Succession. No spoilers None to be found, so you do not have to be worried about that if you're still watching that show. I am not even really that close to being done with it yet. It's actually made going on social media quite treacherous, especially in the last several days as the season finale, or excuse me, the series finale, was just a couple of days ago. And by all accounts, the tiny little bit I'll allow myself to see, people are very happy with the way that it ended, and I will... Uh, I. I've been meaning to talk about the me uh, diving into the show recently and my thoughts on it, but there's just been plenty of other things to get to, so I'll spend a few minutes on that also in the second segment of the show. In the final segment of the show, went to see the final uh, Dead and Company, for all accounts and most intents and purposes, the final Dead of any incarnation show ever. Now, is that... Completely accurate, completely for real. Last time any kind of dead members will play together and play Grateful Dead music? Probably that's not the case. Probably they will. Um, Bob Weir's 75. Phil Lesh, who's not part of Dead and Company, is over 80. And um, the chances are there won't be much left, but there could be some. But for me, it was the final time that I will uh, certainly travel, but probably in any... Uh, situation will I go see the Grateful Dead, and it was quite a nice time. 
And I want to do a few minutes on this. A friend of mine posted on social, just one of those um, get them talking kind of post. Clint Powell, who does the During the Break podcast and does quite well with it, as a matter of fact. Really one of the more successful podcasts in the city, if you want to give it a listen. During the Break, search it out, you'll find it. Tina Turner versus Taylor Swift. And this didn't go well, at least for anybody who is Team Tay-Tay, as they say. And I'll look at some numbers and say why a lot of the geriatrics that were mad about this post were maybe a little mistaken. I'll get to that also in the third and final segment. So as we get things started today, it is Riverbend Eve, kind of, sort of, as I said, as I record this on Wednesday early. A majority of you will hear this on Thursday or later. And then Friday, we start the festival, and I am super excited. I cannot wait for a full weekend down uh, on the river. And uh, today, if it is Thursday that you're listening to this, we have the media walkthrough day that I will be, uh, my plan is anyway, to drop in, pick up my credentials, and uh, take a look. There's nothing really new to see. It's basically the same uh, layout as last year, but I will certainly... Um, post pictures of anything that might be worthwhile, anything noteworthy while I'm down there. So look for that on the Stone On Air Facebook page and Instagram and other places. Uh, the uh, press release that came from uh, Dairy Berry Relation, uh, PR earlier this week, I'll just take a look at some of it. The Craft Garden is, uh, it looks like, I guess, new this year. Glasses of wine, craft beer, specialty cocktails, the new-to-the-festival cocktail list is a Blood Orange Greyhound, Dragon Fruit Vodka Mule, Pineapple Mule, and Pink Lemonade, as well as the specifically brewed for the festival by local brewery Hutton & Smith, the Riverbend Blonde will be available. Valet Parking is for your bike, for your bicycle, I should say, is available. New merch, can't imagine I'll have any interest in that, except for maybe the special 40th anniversary gold pin for collectors. I am a collector. I haven't had a Riverbend pin in many years now, but I very likely will pick up a 40th anniversary gold pin. Um, if you were there last year, you noticed a lot of the lighting in the trees, a lot the way that Bonnaroo does. It makes the nighttime look really, really cool. Um and then fireworks are only on Sunday this year. I feel like they did fireworks all three nights last year. Totally fine by me. You know me if you're here regularly with fireworks. I don't understand the obsession. So one night on the finale on Sunday is totally cool with me. And uh, stay hydrated. It is going to be warm. We are back to summertime. Pop-up showers in the forecast for the weekend uh, nothing to derail anything going on the weekend just that typical it's stupid hot and so it might rain at any time but probably not for long type of thing but located throughout Riverbend I don't know if they had these last year or not water stations allowing to fill your own water bottles at no charge cool clean water for everybody I don't know if there's restrictions on the kind of bottle you can bring in. I haven't seen that quickly on a quick search. I've got a couple of my Yeti cups, my Braves championship, my Titans one. I'd like to bring that. Something tells me that might not be okay. I'm not entirely sure. But one thing that is new that I'll be interested in seeing here is this new um, turf that they put out in front of the what is now the Ultra Stage, formerly the Bud Light Stage, 
uh, Mitch Hall, Mitchell Hall from uh, Friends of the Festival, the directors of operations, said the turf guys in Dalton are putting down 25,000 square foot piece of turf that will help with the heat blasting off that hot black asphalt. It will cover about a third of the area in front of the stage, according to Mitchell. Declined to reveal the cost, but said he is looking for a sponsor to cover the cost and believes the turf can be reusable for nine to ten years. Quoted from Mitchell, it says it's an experiment, but the company is going to transport and store it, so we're going to try it. It has holes in the grid pattern to allow for rain to go through. Cleanup is as simple as blowing any debris off and just hosing it down. That might not quite be as simple as it sounds, but that's what they think and hope anyway. That is from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. That is Barry Quarters. Maybe his last piece. My guy Barry uh, retired from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. And uh, I guess, is that a congratulations kind of thing, Barry? Is that what you're, or is it a relief? (laughs) Which one is it? Or is it a combination of the two? Uh, Regardless, uh, fine, fine work for decades at the Chattanooga Times Free Press. So what else we got here? I did get my Bonnaroo uh, credentials once again, weaseled my way into my favorite place in the world. Thanks to Barry and many of the guys at the What Podcast. We'll be doing some work on the farm this year for their show. I likely will not be doing anything for this show because it doesn't make a ton of sense here, and it uh, it's what they do there. So if you're not familiar, the What Podcast is uh, Festival Talk. It started as a Bonnaroo-only conversation podcast, and it's turned into, uh, you know, all things music industry and festivals across the country. It is part of the Consequence Podcast Network, so it is uh, becoming a pretty, pretty uh, big deal within that niche kind of area. So I look forward to to uh, that in a couple of weeks. It is June. Hey, I've got this far in, 10 minutes in almost, and I didn't even mention it is, yes, it is my other month. Hashtag my other month. April is my month. June is my other month, which I say it every year. I'll go ahead and say it again. Why not? That if I get a good April and I get a good June, then the rest of the year is just house money. Anything that that good comes out of any year, if April and June are great, then it's going to be a great year. There's almost nothing that can derail that. Of course, clearly that is open to um, uh, subject to change, I guess, depending any kind of terrible news or anything. But overall, that's how my years work. And uh, really excited as June is officially underway. The Honest Pint closed over the weekend. A lot of people really bummed to see that. Um, I'm going to keep it simple and try not to be too big of a jerk about it. The place kind of sucked. I'm not going to miss it. Um, That building is really, really awesome. Very historical. Very cool. Um, I miss the old dusty, smoky, dumpy Parkway Billiards. Um, I have a feeling in my adult age, if Parkway was still the way it was 15 years ago, I'd probably hate it. But when the... um, Honest Pint came in at first. It was like, hey, cool, new bar. And then quickly I realized, you know, there's nothing special about this place. But a lot of people liked it. They did a lot of live music there, which I didn't think it was a very good venue for music. But, hey, to each their own, a nice run by the Honest Pint, which has officially closed things down. And speaking of downtown downtown dives, bars, speakeasies, and the like, the Unknown Caller which I have not made a stop into at this point 
because I don't go to new bars and restaurants like I used to. It used to be if one opened in town, I couldn't like contain myself without at least saying, you know, hey, I went or going because, hey, Brian, can't I can't possibly not go to the new thing, right? Now I don't hardly care about any of that. And so now that I'm not drinking, I am not interested in going to bars all that often at all, except for now, as the Unknown Caller has announced the new mocktail menu. And I am, I mean, this is an a round of applause kind of thing. A lot of bars and, and, and uh, liquor bars and cocktail bars are doing this around the country because it just so happens at the time that it's part of my life, it's actually quite trendy to not drink uh, like everybody else is. And that's what it appears from my vantage point anyway. This is from Nuga Today. Unknown caller, caller will be broadening its specialty to the realm of mocktails and low alcoholic beverages all to its own menu. The low plus no alcohol menu, says bar manager Kelsey Hassel. Uh, she adds, assuming that's a she, uh, it's being separate provides them their own tailored experience versus being an afterthought on the bottom of an extensive craft cocktail menu. Uh, they've seen mocktails and the like, an increase in the last year of 30% of guests asking about such specialty non-alcoholic drinks. And she says, last thing here, quote, is the menu was created with this with so much intention and time. I look forward to seeing our doors open to even more friends in our community. And what it means by, and I guess this is what it means by, low to no alcohol is, first of all, no alcohol, that's obvious. What is low alcohol? Well, I am a, I do cheat a little bit. I have not talked about it on this show yet because I just hadn't got around to it. But I drink bitters and club soda when I go out. Lime, bitters, and club soda. And there is alcohol clearly in the bitters. But it is quite literally like an eighth of a shot. Like maybe at the most, if somebody's really heavy-handed, it's maybe a quarter of a shot glass worth of liquid. And I, I think it's, I mean, it is 35, 40% alcohol or so, but it's so very little. It's just giving that kind of cocktail tasting experience. So I'm ex, I'm ex, uh, expecting anyway, and I guess assuming that the low alcohol portion of the name low plus no alcohol means that those will be bitter infused or bitters used for flavor. If that's the case, sign me up. Now, the only downside, I'm sure, is that they'll probably cost about the same amount as a regular cocktail, but that's fine because I'm not going to do it that often, so I'm totally uh, good with it. I got three pieces of audio for you coming up here in just a few minutes as well. I forgot to mention that earlier. The realest thing, uh, the worst idea, and the coolest thing coming up here in just a matter of a couple of minutes. A couple of things to mark off the list here a little bit. Uh, this op-ed from about the Eastridge SRO. I think I'll save that for next week. Quickly from Morning Brew about AI. I'm just starting to really get hip to what the AI thing is, and it is clearly uh, a little disturbing. A few different celebrity AI experts signed a 22-word statement warning about the existential risk of the technology that was published by the nonprofit Center for AI Safety yesterday. Quote, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. <laughs> Sounds like we may be a little bit overly dramatic here. 
though intelligent machines could supercharge progress in virtually all human endeavors from drug ex- uh, discovery to space exploration, says prominent AI doomer El- Eliezer Yudakowski, argues that it's likely, quote, literally everyone on Earth will die if superhuman AI comes to the scene. Does sound to be a little bit overly dramatic. So let's jump into this real quick. The realest thing, this is, uh, you could word this differently and it can chalk up to every dumb asshole on Facebook as I wrote to myself here, but this is one in particular on TikTok calling out somebody she knows. This is today's realest thing. Don't you guys love when the biggest bitch and the girl that slept with everybody in high school is now all over Facebook and Instagram posting things with her husband and her six kids and be like, the Lord is light and the light is never darkness and the Lord is my Lord forever and always. Amen. It's like, bitch, Kelly, you blew the senior basketball star behind a dumpster Behind a Krispy Kreme senior year. Don't give me that Lord is Lord shit. Go blow your husband. How about that? <laughs> there will be a little bit of language with the uh, audio clips I play today. So a uh, a late warning on that. And isn't that just so true? How many people do you know that are just like that? You're like, I know you. And this is a kind of fake facade you're trying to present yourself in current day life on social media. It's so prevalent. It's really actually completely the norm. It doesn't make any it any less annoying. This is today's, I guess I'm going to call it uh, the worst idea. It's Mr. Wonderful from the show Shark Tank, which I watch way too often, basically just because it's always on somewhere on cable TV. Talking about business decisions, politics, culture wars, and all of that is today's worst idea. Budweiser was the American beer. It took decades to build that brand and they blew it up in 30 hours. And Target wants to sell to everybody, everybody, obviously. And they've made a huge mistake. Do you ever hear a CEO that represents a company ever talking about abortion? Never, because that is an issue that will never be resolved. It's a personal issue, it's a family issue, it's a religious issue, it's partisan forever. You don't touch it. Same thing with politics, same thing with gender identity. Everybody has a personal opinion about it. When you actually get involved in a fight like that, you lose 50% of your constituency. I mean, he's not wrong, and I was wrong when I said that that Bud Light thing would blow over after uh, no time. It's still tanking their sales. I don't know who that says more about and who the ridiculousness of it all is, but he's not wrong. Just shut up and sell your product already. I think that's the uh, the moral of the story here. And this is today's, uh, I guess I'm going to call it the coolest thing, even though it's not really cool at all. It's somebody who just trashes all things Democrats and uh, Biden and Kamala Harris on her page. And that's fine, whatever, do your thing. Uh, it was funny enough to use, and I like to use music when I can. It is... Uh, the, the caption on the screen says, POV, Kamala Harris's speeches. This is today's, uh, well, again, coolest, but not really all that cool thing. This is what Kamala Harris's speeches sound like. Today is going to be the day that the day is going to be the day. By day, you should have someday realized that the day is today. <laughs> I don't believe that anybody. 
everybody feels the way I do about you today. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, and I wanted a reason to play it. Uh, it's First of all, it's a pretty stupid song. I'm a huge Oasis fan, but the song is actually kind of dumb, Wonderwall. And I don't stay in tune with things that are going on on a daily, weekly, even monthly basis in national politics. But apparently Kamala Harris can barely uh, get any kind of coherent thought out, even though she is very seemingly a coherent person, as opposed to like Biden and Trump, who are just old men who just ramble and stumble all over themselves. I don't know, but uh, that was just an excuse to play that. Coming up next, the debt ceiling, what does it mean, and the deal that was reached, a little bit on that, and some clips from this show, Secession, again, no spoilers. Hang tight, it's coming up. And all the roads we have to walk are winding And all the lights that lead us there are blinding there are Now more Stone on Air It's about to get all stupid up in here StoneOnAir.com We are facing the potential of a default of literally something that could cause a financial meltdown. We cannot allow this to happen. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, in my view, negotiated a very good deal given the dynamics which he faced, specifically a Democratic White House, a Democratic Senate, and a very thin majority in our Republican-controlled House. All things considered, it's the bill that ultimately does cut spending. What we have done is we've told President Biden he will not, the Democrats will not get a clean raise of the debt ceiling. We're going to have to raise the debt ceiling. That's a given. So once you get past that, the concessions that have been made and the things that are in this bill is a step towards, a small step, but a step towards fiscal responsibility. And just like that, we're back. That was Chuck Fleischman, the talking head puppet of our third congressional district, Congressman. This is Coin. They're going to be playing the Ultra Stage at 8.15 Friday night, and I'm going to have to be there. I'm going to have to skip Strung Like a Horse. Yo, check still. I love it. It's it's not my speed normally. This is not really what I'm listening to on a regular basis. That's what makes me want to listen to their show even more. I have a feeling I might be one of the oldest people at the show. So I'll try not to be a creep. I just want to taste your chapstick. Sorry, I've been listening to it for like the last two weeks, and I absolutely love it. Really, really do. Yeah, 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 yeah. So more on the debt ceiling and all that stuff here in uh, just a couple of minutes. First of all, I want to spend a few minutes on this show, Secession. I, um, the last show I watched was the wrap-up of the uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul universe, which took up 14 years of my life. I'll never let that happen again. Uh, between the two shows, the pandemic, a heart attack by uh, Bob Odenkirk, the star of Better Call Saul, and a lot, and I think there was there was a writer's strike at the very beginning. So between all this stuff, it took 14 years to finish these two shows. 
And I'm just not in the business of watching anything for anywhere near that long, certainly, and not for even multiple years. I'll only start shows now if I know that they're uh, short or if they're already over, so I can completely watch them on my own time. And this show, Secession, um, which is a huge, huge hit, and it's all the buzz, the latest uh, HBO like monster uh, show, which they just continue to just churn these things out for the last several decades. And it is really good. And it also is really stupid at the same time. And it has been just everything I can do to stay away from spoilers all over online because it's the big buzz this week with the uh, season finale just a few days ago. And what I like about it, and this is what I like about every show I've ever watched that I've enjoyed is that if I can't guess, if I'm always finding myself guessing wrong where the show is headed, then that means it's at least done well in that respect. And that is this show absolutely. Every time I think I know what's going to happen next, it doesn't happen. Now, in the middle of all that, it's, it's a comedy drama. Not just a drama that's supposed to be a little humorous. It's supposed to be funny a lot. And that falls so flat, so flat. Um, it's quite annoying, but the plot is so good. But what I don't like about it, and if you don't know what it is, I'll just give you a quick, just generalized kind of overview. It's giant American media, huge conglomerates, uh, obscene amounts of wealth and power struggles that, to the point of what I don't like about it is it feels too real. It's basically the Murdoch family and then kind of think AOL, Time Warner, Fox News, um, uh, old traditional legacy media battling out with new age digital media and the struggle within the company to decide where the direction of the company goes, who gets to take over for the old man and it, it very much is a modern-day version of Game of Thrones in the sense that the entire show is a massive power struggle, except it's in a civilized world, and it's in a realistic America that is based out of New York. I mean, it is, it is very, very, very real, and I, I feel like I, I feel dirty watching it. It is very much another one of those that's become so popular since really The Sopranos started it. The rooting for the bad guy kind of angle from a television show, something that we'd never really saw before The Sopranos, and then Mad Men did it, and Breaking Bad did it, and so many others have done it. Better Call Saul, same deal. Except for in this show, there is no good guy. There is no good it's all bad it's all can't trust anybody it's really kind of gross in a lot of ways it, it there's hunter biden's there's uh there's don trump junior type characters there's all the familiar types that run this country in fictionalized form except it doesn't feel very fictional and all around this also is this big rebrand and launch by HBO, it's uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has bought up. A, really, the company that airs this show is kind of an example of what this show is about. 
But so if you didn't know, HBO is now just called Max, which is odd to me. Such a heritage, such a rock-solid brand. And um, my guy Scott uh, Galloway, I've played him on this show many times. I say my guy. I don't know where he's. He's a national guy, does podcasts. He's a professor. He talks about that very thing here, that this is a really one of the all-time blunders in brand management uh, when he talks about the switch from HBO to Max. This will go down in history as a first ballot Hall of Fame, head up your ass brand strategy move. You could have infinite capital and you couldn't build a brand like HBO in two, three, five, maybe even 10 years. And HBO means a level of quality program that is so tapped into the cultural zeitgeist and has such incredible execution uh, as a function of HBO's culture, which was able to basically be a flyweight that could kick the shit out of Larry Holmes. You know, they were spending two or three billion a year on content. Uh, Netflix was spending 17 billion. And yet, what are we all talking about? We're all talking about succession. What, What did we used to talk about? Game of Thrones. They consistently figure out a way to put out the most culturally relevant content. And they're taking that brand and immolating it so they can call it Max. I mean, this is an outrage. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's an outrage, but so I'm watching this uh, this channel, which is now switched to Max, and I get it free, free, whatever, through my bundling of phone and direct TV. The HBO app comes with it. I would never likely would never pay for it otherwise and as the rollout happened i'm having all kinds of problems i had trouble logging in i can't turn the subtitles on and when you're watching a show like this the succession show is full of uh, the vocabulary is uh, great in one respect and gratuitous in another and i'll get to that here in just a few minutes so i've i've struggled to figure out how to work the app shortly after i learned how to work the the HBO app. And this isn't one of these old man can't figure it out. It's widely being um, uh, discussed on social media about how how clunky this has been. This is HBO Max, now rebranded, rebranded as Max, has a less than ideal launch on Tuesday, so that was a couple of weeks ago, with many subscribers reporting ongoing issues with the app. The problems may have stemmed from Max creating an entirely new app rather than simply renaming its existing one. And many subscribers were displeased, saying they couldn't log in or the app had completely crashed. The streaming service has not provided instructions on how to fix the problem, nor has it posted any kind of finite resolution on its site. And I literally had to poke around and dig through just to get the damn subtitles turned on, because when I went to the way you used to do it, it didn't work. But uh, it's working for me now. I'm about 14 episodes away until I'll finish the series. So probably within the next few weeks anyway. I'd like to finish it before I go go to Bonnaroo, but we'll see. So I got a few clips that I just, as I'm watching it, just like I do anything else in my daily life, note to self on my phone, uh, just some, I thought, noteworthy portions of the show starting from the very beginning. Episode 1 or season one, episode five, the old man, the dad, and he brings his kids in as they're, and all his legal team and everybody as they talk about these new acquisitions that they want to acquire. So what you got cooking? There's a potential opportunity for some acquisitions and consolidation. Packet of local TV stations. Local TV? No one watches TV, Dad. Well, TV is where the majority of people get their news. More people watch local than any other kind. Yeah, 
but not really. I can see short term, we make some cash, but I'm, I'm just saying, for Waystar, is this a good look? There's this fancy new business theory. It's called make more than you spend and you're king cunt. Dad, come on. Why shouldn't we do all the news? Why shouldn't we do all the news? Well, Kim Jong pop, because that's not how things work in this country. You just love telling people what to think, don't you? Fuck off. People come to us because we don't sell them on anything. No packet of fucking bleeding heart United Nations Volvo gender bender horseshit. The politics on this would be horrible. Justice, FCC, uh, antitrust, I mean, we'd be tied up for years. Nah, TV's fucked. It needs to consolidate. Yeah, just a reminder, the language picks up from here. So later on in season two, episode six, this is one of the married into the family members, a husband of the daughter, and he's taking out one of the second cousins of the actual family to dinner, an impressionable character who's young and doesn't have any idea what in the world he's gotten himself into. And they go to this absurdly expensive New York City dining experience. Mm. Exactly. When I had that monk fish, I thought I was going to ship you and come all at once. This sounds delicious. Although I don't actually have much of an appetite. Well, you better find one quick because this is one of the most exclusive pop-ups in the city when we're having the full tasting menu. Uh-huh. How come the, the wine list doesn't have any prices? Because they're obscene. Look, here's the thing about being rich, okay? It's fucking great. Okay, it's like being a superhero, only better. You get to do what you want. The authorities can't really touch you. You get to wear a costume, but it's designed by Armani, and it doesn't make you look like a prick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So that's a Thank perfect you. example of the gratuitous language, and it just continues and continues on through the whole show. It's fine. It just gets a little annoying to me. This is later on in that same season. They're at a mixer, the... Um, the Waystar is the name of the company. Raystar Roy. Roy is a last name. Think the Murdochs. And they're mixing with another media company, having a mixer, I should say, drinking and hanging out kind of thing, social, as they attempt to uh, merge to uh, save this publicly traded company. One of the rich adult kids is talking to one of the others. They're both in politics in New York City. Connor Roy, mm-hmm. Maxim Pierce, Hi. <laughs> the man who would be king, <laughs> Don Quixote of Iowa, tilting at straw poles. Yep, <laughs> uh, I got a big old tent and everyone's welcome. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, are you in politics? Sort of, uh, Brookings Institute. Ah, Brookings. Yes, of course, uh, a fine elite establishment. Oh, I didn't take you for a fan. I thought you were on the whole uh, abolish the Federal Reserve, fluoride is poison, pissing in jars end of things. Uh, no, I'm actually on the liberty and justice for all end of things, but hey, different strokes. <laughs> well, that is actually Alan Ruck, the oldest son. That's, uh, I think he's the um, the friend of Ferris Bueller and Ferris Bueller's day off. I'm sure he's been in many other things, but that's the only thing I recognize him from. And the final clip I have for you here is just random clips from the show Succession from HBO. It is the ringleader of all the kids. The uh, second oldest, his name's Kendall, and he's trying to get them all, it's four, uh, four siblings, and he's trying to get them all on the same page as he persuades them to join him in his attempted takeover of the company. This is the best clip of all of them. Okay, can, can we uh, turn off the devices and get into this? My thing is, if this shit was just epiphenomenal, maybe it could be written out, but these incidents are symptomatic of a foundational sickness within our father and his company. My point is the milk is going sour. Well, that explains it. You know, the the great whites 
from politics to culture, they're rolling off stage. It's our time. Big picture, we're at the end of the long American century. Our company is a declining empire inside a declining empire. Amen, brother. People are, are, are killing themselves with guns or dope so fast that we're losing pace. U.S. supremacy is waning. What I think is, within that context, we can become omninational and reposition. Because actually we are not tied culturally or physically. So, so we are actually in a great position to leapfrog tech. Information is going to be more precious than water in the next hundred. Combine all our news operations, become the global news information hub. Amazon is 20 years old. Gates is an old geezer. Detoxify our brand, and we can go supersonic. It's absolutely uh, it's perfect kind of uh, dialogue there, and it's another case of gratuitous vocabulary, which I actually do like. I have to regularly stop the show and look words up just because I'm intrigued at what they mean. Epiphenomenal, a secondary effect or byproduct that arises from but does not casually influence a process. Um Another one I just looked from my notes itself, avarice, extreme greed or wealth or material gain. If you know those words, good for you, but I didn't. And a couple of minutes here on the uh, debt ceiling, which I, I'm guessing by the time you hear this, will have passed through Congress. This is just aggregated through Yahoo. The plan would do very little to balance the budget. It still does not balance the largest expenses of the country, which includes Social Security, Medicare, and the military, which weren't touched. Those spending areas were off limits from the, the negotiation in the first place and will continue to fuel deficits over the next decade. And that's just something we're just going to have to figure out because I do not understand this constant talk about Social Security being cut and the constant narrative that this is an entitlement program, Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, is infuriating. And to anybody, no matter who you're voting for, what your ideological thoughts are, to the thought that Social Security could be just done away with and called an entitlement program, I mean, I'll fight somebody over this. Like, this will be blood in the streets. This is like, these are fighting words. This is money we put in, assholes. How is this hard to understand? Why is this always coming up like this? And maybe it is just uh, scare tactics from the talking heads on social media these days. Uh, the second one here, student loan repayments are, are now coming back in September, which that's fine. I don't have much at all sympathy for people who borrow money and then don't want to pay it back. I just don't. I never will. Sorry. Uh, my super leftist might get mad at me on that one, but the uh, student loan repayments have been halted since March of 2020. It's costing the government $5 billion a month in lost revenue. The debt agreement would require some 43 million Americans to resume payments in September, slightly earlier than expected. Well, boo freaking who? You borrow the money, it's time to pay it. You've had three years to not have to deal with it. Sorry, what do you want me to do? Cry, uh, cry a river, dude. Uh, families that rely on food assistance could feel the pinch, especially amid rising prices and a bunch of bullet points after that. The rock-solid job market is likely to soften a little. I don't know who comes up with the terminology rock-solid job market. And then overall, the plan wouldn't be a big drag on the economy. A U.S. default could lead to as many as 8 million job losses and $10 trillion in lost household wealth. I don't know where those numbers come from, but it is a lot of doom and gloom, and it does appear that this is something that needs to happen. This is from the Times Free Press about a week ago. Survey more Americans struggling with their finances. Increasing numbers of Americans say they're struggling 
Nearly a quarter of respondents said that while their spending had increased in 22, their incomes had not. Roughly two-thirds said they have stopped using a product or used less of it because of higher prices, while 51% noted they've reduced their savings. I fall exactly into that category. I've stopped using certain products. I've stopped buying certain products. And I have also stopped saving money. Why? Because I don't have any. It's not because I'm stupid. It's not because I don't understand how the economy works or how the financial markets work. If you don't have any money to save, you can't save it. Only 63% of adults surveyed said they would cover an unexpected $400 expense using cash or its equivalent. Um, I would fall into that uh, 63%, but not much more than that. If you started throwing $400 problems at me too fast, it would really screw up my day and my month and my year. And just some other stuff. This also from Morning Brew. Uh, household debt findings included a record high level of debt, $17 trillion. Persistent credit card debt and rising delinquency rates. Auto loan delinquencies are higher than they were before the pandemic for those under 40. The average monthly car payment has jumped to $729. Are you mad? Are you insane, bro? They, them, whoever that is. $729, the average monthly car payment? Holy shit. That is idiocy. That is lunacy. The debt balances are almost $3 trillion higher than pre-pandemic. The bright spot, though, many households are still more financially stable than they were before thanks to the mortgage refi boom of 20 and 21. And that's all the time I have on that for now. Is this kicking the can down the road? You're goddamn right it is. But at this point, where I'm at in my financial life and where things are, I'm happy that this can is being continued to be kicked down the road for now. As I close up the second segment with Coin, 815 on the Ultra Stage Friday. I cannot wait for that. Cannot wait for the entire weekend of Riverbend. Speaking of concerts and shows and being sober, which I often talk about on this show, I went to my final Grateful Dead show or any iteration or incarnation of the Grateful Dead this past weekend, and I loved it. That and Tina versus Taylor. Hang tight. It's coming up next. This is the Stone on Air podcast. Exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. Tuesday will mark the second year of my not having a drink. And I say not having a drink because I'm not sure if I want to use the word sobriety. And I think that the language around drinking is very tricky and people don't like locking themselves in a certain language. So I will say that come Tuesday, it will have been two years since I had anything to drink. And those two years have been really, really great. Drinking and not drinking is a very personal thing to each person. It is wired into your particular psychology and your history. And and, and I can only tell you in the first person who I was, what I did, how it's made my life better. I don't think you have to wait until everything is lost to stop. If you're doing a little bit more than you wanted to, it's always a good decision to do none of it. So I just want to be an example of somebody who said, that's enough. 
And that was John Mayer, who is part of Dead & Company, playing the role of Jerry Garcia in this version of The Dead. Talking about his two years of sobriety. And man, it was a really nice night in Atlanta. That front came in and we didn't get any rain. 75 degrees in the evening. I think the highest it might have touched 80. Oh, it was gorgeous. Fantastic shakedown street. Fun, fun, fun parking lot. All the stuff you'd expect from the dead. A very young crowd. We noticed that. Me and several that I was there was pointed out to me initially, and then I noticed it myself. And I was like, you're right. A lot of newbies. Noobs, as the kid would say, kids would say. And uh, it was a really nice way to say done with the Grateful Dead. I, I'm not this huge deadhead, but I like them a lot. And especially this century, I, I like them a lot, a lot. Now, I didn't listen to them in the 90s and certainly not the 80s. I was a child. And, um, you know, Garcia died in 95. My first dead experience was in 2003 when Warren Haynes from the Allman Brothers and Government Mule, he was playing the role, the part, if you will, of Jerry Garcia on that tour as they toured as just the dead. And then I've seen Rat Dog, Bob Weir's version, and I've seen Phil Lesh at times with people, the bass player from the band. I've seen Mickey Hart and Planet Drum a couple of times over the years. And um, many, many cover and tribute bands. Uh, I mean, the Grateful Dead's a lot of fun. And I was not sure if I would be bored to tears uh, too far into it or not because of the, the, the sobriety thing. Now, if you know what California sober is, it's kind of new terminology to me recently. You can look it up. I, that's what I am. I'm kind of California sober. But um, alcohol is not a part of things anymore. And I... Really had a nice time. And my brothers went, um, neither of which have ever been to a dead show. One, the younger of my brothers has been to jam band shows, so he understands the culture. The other brother, closer to my age, who I haven't spent a lot of time with in the last many years because he got married, had a child, and he's got a whole you know life situation, midlife kind of thing going on. And I was like, dude, we're going to cover this for you. Just come on with us. You'll enjoy it. The weather's going to be great. It's not going to cost you anything except for $20 for your beers at the show. Other than that, it's not going to cost you anything. And he had a nice time. It was all uh, really good. But this all came together in 2016 after the Fare Thee Well shows from, uh, from 2015 with the, uh, the final shows of the Core Four. Lesh... Mickey Hart, Kreutzmann, and um, and Bob Weir did the two or three nights at Soldier Field and then did two or three nights at um, Levi's Stadium, I think it's called, where the 49ers play out in San Francisco. And the weekend that they were in San Francisco was also the, uh, the week that the um, marriage equality was passed. And uh, so it was a big weekend in California, and I was just dying, dying to go. And it just made no sense for me to go to Chicago or San Francisco to go see the dead. It just made zero, zero sense to do that. So I think I, I think I bought them and watched one of them at least. I know I did now that I think about it. At least one of them on, um, you know, through the internet and on the computer. And then right after that, like minutes later, seemingly, Bob Weir and John Mayer and Mickey Hart and Bill Kreutzman got together and said they're going to do the dead and company. And it was like, what? 
That was my first thought. Like, you guys just did all this hullabaloo. All this were quitting um, the this whole thing. And not a, a half a year later, you're back out on the road as a dead end company? That seems odd to me. But before I get to that, um, it was a sober day. And uh, I was getting the show together for today. And I just looked at the calendar and realized that it was been a while now since my uh my this my sober date and it turns out today right now this moment is 100 days since i've last had a drink and last been intoxicated that's a pretty big deal and a lot of times in anything in life you wonder is this really a thing anymore like whatever that thing is and it's when you stop thinking about it that it's not really a thing sometimes if that makes any sense and this is one of those. I stopped counting about a month ago. And I looked around and grabbed the calendar and realized, holy hell, today is 100 days. And it's now, it's really, as dorky as this sounds, it's kind of a lifestyle brand for me. I now like it. I embrace it. I, I, I really do enjoy it, and I'm proud of it. And um, so, yeah, 100 days today. That's pretty cool. And then one thing I did pick up, speaking of California Sober, while I was in the uh, on Shakedown Street, is this Fizzy 9 Pineapple Express Infused Soda from journeyhemp.com. It was $10, which is a damn steal when you're talking about a, you know, a light beer being $16, $17 inside that uh, awful, awful venue, the uh, Lakewood Amphitheater, which I'll get to more in just a second. It is basically, instead of an edible, it's a drinkable. It says on the back of the can, notice effects in 10 minutes. Enjoy your journey up to six hours. No hemp taste, no hangover. When I read that, I was like, okay, after my absolute nightmarish uh, experience with gummies at the Pearl Jam show last year, I'm sure as hell not going to drink this drink that says 10 minutes for your effects and up to six hours it doesn't have a lot of ingredients except for 92 percent of your daily uh, value of added sugars and um i'll give it a try one of these days but for now it's just sitting on my desk and so this is from the wikipedia of just bob we are the grateful dead or something uh, in 2015, while the Dead's Fairly Well shows with Trey Anastasia were being planned, John Mayer performed Althea with Bob Weir on The Late Show and also Truckin'. Weir was impressed with Mayer's take on the material and began planning to work with him after the Fairly Well shows, despite them being billed as somewhat of a, finality, a finale for the band and its legacy. This is quote from Bob Weir. If I had to make a broad categorization, John is a is a classicist by nature. Classicist, am I saying that right? And Trey is more of an iconoclast. They're both explorers. Both are happy to break tradition. But I'm really eager to get back out there with John Boy and chase the music around and get to know each other. This is of off the quote here. The thought of pop singer Mayer stepping in for Jerry Garcia was met with some initial skepticism by both fans and music critics, but the shows have been since well-received. In a 2017 interview with Rolling Stone, Phil Lesh praised the band's performances and explained his decision not to take place in The Dead and Company. Quote from Phil, it says, I think they're doing a great job. They're bringing the music to the people just like always, just like we always wanted to do, and I commend them for it. 
I hope they're having a good time. It's not something I could do myself. I'm done with that kind of touring. And Phil Lesh is the oldest surviving member of the Grateful Dead at this point. So I thought this was a stupid idea at first. And that was eight years ago, and lots changed since then. And I went and saw them in 2019 at the same dumpy place, Lakewood Amphitheater, and I was bombed drunk and all kinds of messed up, and I didn't get a good spot on the lawn, and I couldn't see anything, and I was I can't remember that well because I was so effed up, and I just got annoyed, and I left early, and I did not have a good experience, and it was another one of those cases of my time, my experience, what I went to do to go have fun and spend all this money to do got ruined because of drugs and alcohol. Just another one of the countless times in my life that that happened. That's another reason why this one was so pleasant and so much more enjoyable was because it was like, Jesus, it's so nice to be able to do this and not have that. And I get in there and you can bring an unopened bottle of water with you. So we had four of them. All of, we all had one in our hand. And so I just drank those waters the whole time. Didn't spend a dime while I was inside the place while I watched everybody stumble around and wait an hour long line seemingly for almost $20 beers and $25, $26 mixed drinks. And the bathroom line, I, everybody I talked to said, that's the most amount of people I've ever urinated with at the same time in the same spot in my life. It is a total bleep hole, Lakewood Amphitheater. I, it's kind of one of those, it's a dump, but it's our dump kind of things. Many of us have a lot of great experiences or at least memories. Maybe not great experiences, maybe that too, but certainly memories. My very first show I ever went to in my life as a, uh, you know, a real concert was in 1994 at Lakewood Amphitheater. See Cracker, Gin Blossoms, and Spin Doctors. A friend of mine's uh, mother brought us down, dropped us off. I believe it was the exact same gate we walked in on Sunday and then picked us up afterwards. No cell phones, no social media, um, you know, barely even available of a payphone. I'm sure there was one. Maybe we used it. I don't remember. And then got us a hotel room. And, you know, it was a big night. It's one of my favorite nights of my life because I remember I, I was like, holy Jesus, I'm at a concert, man. I'm in the lawn. I'm smoking cigarettes. This is crazy. And I've been there many, many, many times. And it's just many years in between every time I go. And this place sucks. It sucks so bad. Um, the, it, it looks like it hasn't been pressure washed in 25 years. The signage at oftentimes is literally just banners or paper billboards, old school paper billboards. There's no improvements. The screens on the side of the stage quite literally look like think projection screens that you just pull down in an elementary class or a high school class from 1998 and then projected the screen on there. It looks terrible. The sound is good. The sound is good. It wasn't quite loud enough for my liking, but the sound is good. And I just don't foresee myself ever going back to this place again. And I'm very, very happy to have closed the Grateful Dead chapter in my life on Sunday, the way that we did, and um, another just just uh, confirmation that I can live my life the way that I want to, the way that I'm used to, just without all the mess and confusion of just heavy drinking that just polluted everything I've tried to do in my life. For those that care, the set list, which by all accounts, most people were very happy with. 
always a depends on who you ask kind of situation. Opened with Cassidy, great song. Deal, which you heard on the way in there. You'll hear on the way out here in a few more minutes from now. Samson and Delia, Friend of the Devil, It Hurts Me Too, Tennessee Jed, uh, The World to Give, and Going Down the Road Feeling Bad was a great uh, first set close. Then the second set, Althea, Estimated Profit, China Cat, Sunflower, into I Know You Rider is classic. Grateful Dead stuff, and it was, uh, they hit that one hard. That was very, very fun. Eyes of the World after that was fantastic. Drums in Space, which is always a piss break kind of thing, uh, if, if that were to be what I needed to do at the time, just for all the people on drugs to make them space out for a few minutes. And then Lady with a Fan, Terrapin Station, Morning Dew, and they did not have a encore. And I was furious. I did leave to finally have to go pee, and I was able to go get in the, the porta johns that were outside of the terrible lines. And at this point, the place had thinned out a little bit. It was not that big a deal. And I, I knew they just ended the second set, and I hauled ass back to my friends to, because it was a pain in the ass to get in and out of that, uh, that lawn. They, hold, they cram 19,000 people in that building. It's an absurd amount of people. And I was like, my friend, one in particular, is going to beat my ass if I don't watch the encore with them, being especially it being the last show. And I hauled ass back up there, and I got there just in time for the lights to come on. The house lights come on, and the house music comes on, and the show's over. And we're just dumbfounded. What? The show is... They don't ever not encore... This is not something they ever don't do, except for when I found out later that there was an 11 o'clock hard uh, curfew and or time uh, constraint. And it turns out, based on a look at the set list from social, that the, the uh, finale or the encore was going to be knocking on heaven's door. And I could totally live without that. But so there you go. The last chapter in my life of Grateful Dead. And this, real quick, as I wrap up the show, from my guy, Clint Powell, during the break podcast, amongst many other things he does around uh, locally in the podcast world. It says, I have a friend who will remain nameless. Today, he said, I understand Tina Turner was a big celebrity and music star, but I don't understand the uproar. After all, she's no Taylor Swift. And then the responses come flooding in. And there's no need to read all the predictable responses from this geriatric thread. It's a bunch of people 50 and 60 years old who are appalled by this comment. And I got to thinking, that's not that egregious of a thing to say to me. And my words and my quotes, quote unquote, always get bent out of shape and regurgitated incorrectly. It always happens. And uh, sometimes I just let it roll. The whole Brian hates the Beatles thing started 15 years ago. I never said that. Never even kind of said that. But I just ran with it. But for this one, I decided to look at the numbers. Because Taylor Swift is one of the most impressive, biggest stars in the history of the world. (laughs) I mean, of modern world anyway. And I just, to look at the numbers real quick, I'm not going to tell you whether I think that's a terrible thing to say or a perfectly uh, fine thing to say. I am just going to give you the numbers. Tina Turner, studio albums between 1974 and 99. She had nine of them. Years active overall, 64. 
Album sold over 150 million. Grammys, she has 12. She has a bunch of 80s attendance records that are not standing anymore. And she is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. She died at the age of 83. Let's look at Taylor Swift. From 2006 to current 22, she has 10 studio albums. One more than Tina. And I know she had a bunch of compilations and a bunch of other stuff, but I'm talking just from solo artist to solo artist. She has 18 years active. She has sold over 200 million records. She also has 12 Grammys. She has 92 entries in the Guinness Book of World Records, many of those being attendance records, likely the ones that she broke were Tina Turner's. And she will be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at least once, probably only once. And she is only 33 years old. She's already sold 50 million more records than Tina in a third of the time. And there is no signs of any let up or slowdown of this machine that is Taylor Swift. Are they legendary on the same kind of level? Of course they're not. Did she break barriers that Tina Turner did? Of course she didn't. But this idea that Taylor Swift isn't on par for a comparison and a discussion of the importance of the music between the two is laughable. And of course, nobody under the age of 60 or 55 or so was on this thread. And at the end of the day, just like many arguments, it doesn't matter at all. But they have the same amount of Grammys. Taylor has 50 million more sold records. And that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to leave it at that. I could have done numbers for days, but I do not think it's absurd to have the conversation that Taylor Swift and Tina Turner are somewhat comparable or at least allowed to be debated their importance and their legacies, especially when one is still being written and will be likely for potentially two or more decades or so. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying I disagree or agree. I'm just throwing that out there. And that's all I got. Man, I'm just now normally getting off work and just getting ready to, like, you know, slug through the evening to record and make dinner and try to do things around the house. This is beautiful. So I'll be down at Riverbend tomorrow and look for that on social media and at Riverbend all weekend long. If you're there, come by and say hello. I got to run. Love you. See you later. Bye.